Hello, welcome to season two, episode two of Soil and Human Health. Um, this is called Dan Darrigan Moments. I'd been gifted 15 minutes to wrap up a fascinating two days of regenerative talk at Dan Darrigan, a small farming community northeast of Perth. The occasion was Healthy Farming Pathways, a day-long presentation by soil scientist Dr Christine Jones and a following day expo for farmers and supporters to discuss a way forward in regenerative farming practices. Now, a few weeks later, I get to expand on my 15 minutes. My colleague Catherine and I were billeted at the Fox's farm just out of Dandarrigan. This is a family business run on 7,000 acres and very close to being certifiably regenerative in the way they produce their crops of potatoes and sheep. It's a gorgeous property with healthy natural springs and numerous stands of blackbutt, the local eucalypt. I gathered after a few days chatting to farmers that this property is a particularly well-favoured spot, a local gem. Many locals face tougher conditions in their paddocks, dealing with black clay, gutless white sand and outbursts of rock. On the second day, the Expo Day, the one set up by Soil Restoration Farming to help growers orient themselves in the world of microbial-rich soils, we started with brief introductions from everyone in the room. I was particularly struck by the words of a young local farmer, James. He shared with the collective his awe at the beauty of the natural world that he witnesses daily on his property. James's words cut to a deeper, a less expressed reality in ag circles. Beyond the language of restoring ecosystem function and increasing soil biodiversity lies a rich and simple thought. To heal the land is to heal ourselves. Regenerative agriculture has been part of a long process of resensitization for myself. I was brought up in a, an essentially dead world a world where if you couldn't stub your toe on it, it either didn't exist or didn't matter, and a world where everything was known. Somehow, I grew up understanding that if I wanted to know anything, then there would always be someone to advise me. Religion might have helped me develop a stronger consciousness to the deep mysteries of life, but I was born into that type of watered-down, cultured Anglicanism that was all form and no substance, as a child and teenager, it was really easy to dismiss. Strangely and conversely, I was also told that everything in life that is really important is invisible. So I took in with my rusk the entirely opposite view that things of the spirit were superior to any toe-stubbing matter. That meant love, breath, and of course today I have to add the microbiome, were given elevated status. The idea seemed to be that matter was not alive unless animated by a mysterious energy or spirit. Charles Eisenstein describes the divided understanding in relationship to the human body as we are meat robots with added spirit. Now I choose to believe that everything is alive and with this belief not only is the world transformed into a more precious and curious place of intricate relationships, but I become a living, breathing entity, indistinguishable from spirit, 
connected to everything exists by, in life that pulses from every cell in my body. So like the farmers who are heading down a regenerative path, I too am taking back the power to be a non-divided soul where reality is a relationship rather than an objective thing. During this time in Dan Darrigan, John Thompson, and here's, I've included his uh, connection to the nature code, reminded me in a conversation that we're all still caught up in a process of decolonisation. When people who looked like me, as in pale-skinned, arrived on West Australian shores a few hundred years ago, the Eurofix was in. Now I am one of many in a process of revelation, throwing away filter after filter and learning along the way that Indigenous knowledge systems have as much to teach us as regenerative farming systems. Where they connect is through the idea of holism, whole of landscape thinking. Systems where everything is included, where nothing can be left out. On the afternoon that we arrived, our farm hosts took Catherine and I on a tour. We saw the massive pivots that allowed four huge circles of land to grow potatoes. Once the potatoes had been harvested, the foxes plant millet and then clover to help restore the soil. Catherine and I were enchanted by the scale and abundance of the millet plants and the rainforest feel of the crop. On this really hot day, it was like standing in a natural air conditioning unit. You could feel the aliveness and taste the sweetness of the crop. By chance, on the drive to Dandarigan from Perth, I'd been listening to a presentation by Dr. Vandana Shiva. She's an Indian physicist and activist whose life's work has been about restoring sovereignty to small acre farmers of India and beyond. A large part of her fight is against what she calls the patenting of nature, Big Ag's effort to control agricultural production through the creation of genetically modified seeds. Vandana mentioned the humble millet as a grain that should become a major human food source. Looking at mixed crop, I got it. The grain load per plant is huge, much bigger than wheat or oats or the other common annuals you see in WA. Millet is gluten-free, and this is an important factor in a country where an overload of gluten seems to have driven many of us into a sensitivity to wheat. And as a crop for soil and food for humans, millet has wonderful nutritional advantages. Interestingly, it seems that many potato farmers do not use crops like millet to revitalise soil. After harvest, it is standard for potato growers to inject the soil with methane gas as a way to sterilise against pest. As methane in the air is deadly to humans and animals, the treated plot is left alone for the few days it takes the gas to be rendered harmless. How can this be a sensible farming strategy? especially in the face of Christine Jones's soil health message. She suggests that by choosing to plant from at least five different functional plant species, you increase the potential for microbial diversity through the increase in root exudates. More life, more immunity and resilience in the soil and plants. So Catherine and I hopped around like excited field mice in, millets, in mixed millet crop, shooting questions at him. 
Why any millet? Why clover? How about if you tried planting? Blah, blah, blah. Look, he was a lovely man and he took our suggestions gracefully, not for a minute making us feel like urban amateurs. Turns out he doesn't harvest the seed, but buys his millet from the eastern states. Seems there's a bit of a problem with seed species biodiversity for farmers in WA. As cover cropping gains traction in this state, growing for seed is surely going to become a growth industry. Catherine and I suggested that we collect the millet seed for him. COVID has shown us that supply lines can easily be disrupted. Mick laughed, saying he needed 90 kilos of the stuff. But he did agree that if he added a trove of different species to make up the weight, we could theoretically harvest a workable amount by hand. In the end, we persuaded Mick to come to Christine Jones' presentation. He did come and said he enjoyed it. Plenty of food for thought. So you never know. Watch this pivot. Transitioning to regenerative farming processes brings on a big change of heart. And maybe it's important to remember at this point that all change can trigger grief and fear. There is always something to let go of when we step into a new way of thinking and being. What comes up for supporters of Regen Ag is always how best to support this paradigm shift. How do we meet each other where we're at and find new stories to tell that help make sense of the new way of being that beckons? Well, for starters, we need better stories to drive our new collaborative efforts. And that means recognising the stories that currently drive us and may no longer serve our best interests. A long time ago, I heard the writer George R. Martin give a talk. He wrote a series of novels that became a hit TV show, Game of Thrones. In this talk, he compares his work to Lord of the Rings. Now, you've probably either read Tolkien's novels or watched the film versions, so you know that a young man, a young hobbit, sets out from home on a quest, facing ugly trolls, finding allies, being tricked and tested in all manner of ways. By the end of the story, the evil guys are thwarted, the good wizard wins, and a golden peace reigns over the whole kingdom. Yeah, well. I saw enough of Game of Thrones to understand that this good versus evil scenario comes a bit of a cropper. Think, for example, of the beautiful dragon heiress who overcomes terrible adversity, finds her power as a queen, and frees a nation of slaves, only to go on to become an even worse tyrant than the one she was replacing. Martin's suggestion is that the good queen morphing into a monster is probably a more relevant story for our time than the Tolkien's good versus evil. This struck me as true on so many levels, especially on a systems level, where to knock off the bad person at the top is simply to invite another baddie to replace them. The story now, surely, is about all of us facing the good wizard and the ugly troll as they manifest in our own behaviour. So no virtue can be ours alone, and no bad behaviour can be ours alone, and we can all stop pointing the finger of blame. When we create a space where we can all feel enlivened to embrace our own shadow selves and stop demonising the other, then we are embracing a truly holistic system. Nothing is left out.
Rochelle and Justin Armstrong, conveners of this meet-up and founders of soil restoration farming, have a phrase. Everyone is free to be their own kind of different. This is the space we need to nurture, where everyone flourishes, and we all have something to offer in an expanded understanding of farming and all things regenerative. And even the trajectory of the story encompassed in Tolkien's hero's journey is getting a bit long in the tooth. Don't you reckon? You know, young man sets out to find adventure and conquer new worlds. Look, we need these young men. Their energy and power is a crucial part of the mix. And sure, let's send our hero off on adventures that will allow him to test his ability in a challenging world. But let's also make sure he's welcomed home where he can be with a bunch of people who might provide context to his world-creating ideas and the inevitable suffering and pleasure endured. But this new world needs a broader range of experience and vision than can be represented by a young man. We also need people, young and old, with a bit of get up and stay. Those willing to stick their spades in their soil and go deep into the barely comprehended worlds represented by seeds and plants and the microbiome. I mean, do we need more Elon Musks? I know he's not that young, but his story fits the hero's journey really nicely from my perspective. Someone blasting off on their own trajectory to find more planets with more exploitable resources in a spaceship that I suspect is loaded with freezers full of impossible burgers. Elon's is a well-traversed story of technological innovation and individual genius that I'm pretty sure is not the one that will, that will get us out of the mess that we have created. Gadgets, widgets, funky new software programs is where big capital still looks for profit, and profit in the narrowest sense of financial gain and ego fulfilment. But the real work that needs doing is being nurtured in forums exactly like Healthy Farming Pathways. And there's a very diverse range of folk making this happen. Older women, for example, are really well represented. These two days were the result of a lot of small groups working together across communities, sharing ideas and resources. So a crowd of regeneratives are given a chance to nut out ways they can transition their souls and their soils to fertility, abundance and resilience. Here, I should mention that Dandarigan soils host extraordinarily large earthworms that grow up to six inches long. I kid you not, I didn't get to see one unfortunately. They start appearing in the cooler months and are a regular part of the potato harvest. Apparently all the normal sized earthworms we're used to seeing are descended from European stock. So these are indigenous worms, our worms, and they need to be celebrated and protected for their uniqueness and for what they bring to the particular ecosystems of the area. Earthworms aside, these days represented sanity to me. It's been a celebration of work that is humble, grounded and local. A different kind of hero's journey is being enacted in our rural communities. And let me say a particular thank you to the Dan Darrigan CRC people. Not only did they host a really good 
program of events, but they also produced the Red Gum Report, which reported on all of this stuff, their local newspaper. Thank you, Dan Darrigan, CRC. You rock. <laughs>